0: We're going to be in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence of the law who are... <laughs> Let's do that sentence over again. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith,
1: All right, hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 25 this morning, along with a number of other scriptures. So we, uh, we have quite a bit to cover uh, this morning. Um, the title of the message today is Contested Will. Contested Will. Uh, if you have a will uh, and then you die, uh, that's depressing, sorry. Um, then, then people follow the will and it, it tells what they're supposed to do with your stuff after you're gone. And a contested will is when somebody dies and then somebody says, no, that's not what they really wanted to do. Uh, they actually wanted to give me all their money, not somebody else, whatever it might be. So contested will. This is actually becoming more and more common over in Europe, especially because they're finding wills were written long ago and then the way families are put together uh, don't match up what the will is saying. And so people are contesting it. And then not only that, over, especially over in Great Britain, Uh, They've decided in their case law that uh, a child, especially an only child or a child throughout their life has been dependent on a family, can't be written out of a will. So if if the parents didn't like their kid for whatever reason, they write them out of the will, uh, the child could go and make a case that says, no, yeah, we weren't getting along. They didn't like me. They wrote me out of their will. But nonetheless, because of a dependency I have on them, I should still get some of the money. And now that's happening more and more. And so wills are becoming contested because the person who wrote it, of course, isn't around uh, to explain what's going on. So what we're looking at today is a will. We're looking at what it means to be heir to the kingdom of God. And there's a bit of an argument that we're going to discuss about who is an heir to uh, to the kingdom of God. And where we're going to start with this, you would think would be Romans, but actually it's not. We're going to start over in Matthew uh, chapter 3. Beginning in verse 7, I'm going to read Matthew 3, 7 through 10. Let me set the stage. John the Baptist is down at the Jordan River baptizing people. John the Baptist down at the Jordan River baptizing people. Verse 7 picks up the story. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So essentially we have this contrast between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and John the Baptist. John the Baptist, by his own account, said he is baptizing people with a baptism of repentance. So people come down to the Jordan River, they come down to John the Baptist, and they say, I want to repent. And John the Baptist says, what do you want to repent of? And they start listing stuff. They're repenting. Got to repent of stuff. And so he baptizes them in a baptism of repentance. This is a repenter one who has said they were doing evil and prefer not to any longer. And so repenters are ones who are admitting by baptism, John's baptism, baptism of repentance, I'm not good. That's what a baptism of repentance is. The Pharisees and Sadducees, on the other hand, they're coming down, and what they're doing is saying, "Not we're not good, we can tell you how to be good. So this is the contrast. John the Baptist is baptizing people, and they're admitting not good. The Pharisees are saying, we are good, and we are going to tell you how to be good. And John the Baptist then, in a very polite way, of bringing some correction. You brood of vipers. And we're going to find out in a minute why he took this so strongly. And the issue here is not merely who's good and not good. The issue here is who are sons of Abraham. He, he drills down on Verse 9 of Matthew 3. Do not presume to yourselves we have Abraham as our father. Why would they want to have Abraham as their father? If Abraham is their father, they are heirs to the estate of Abraham. If Abraham is their father, they will inherit that which is Abraham's. And John the Baptist is saying, if Abraham is short on heirs, God can make heirs for him from the rocks. He doesn't need you, Yahoos. He doesn't need you if he's short on heirs. If we're running out of heirs for Abraham's estate, God can pick up some rocks and say, you know, I'll make some children of Abraham out of these rocks. And so Abraham is saying, repentance is the thing, not your law keeping. So the question is, when it comes to inheritance, and the question is, when it comes to Abraham himself, who are heirs to Abraham's estate, who are his children. And this is a contested will, because lots of different people say there's lots of different ways to inherit Abraham's estate. And we're going to explain this morning what the Bible tells us about who is the son and who is an heir to Abraham's estate, who are sons of Abraham. So let's turn back to Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Some of you are saying, I never left. Well, good. Good for you. All right. So heirs are usually family, not always, but heirs are usually family. And most families have identifying marks that identify their heirs. Nowadays, with uh, maybe your family, you probably know who uh, your brothers and sisters are, mom and dad, and all these kind of things. You know who the people are. So if somebody dies, we know who the kids are, the grandkids, aunts, uncles, in-laws. We know who all those are. Back in ancient times, that might not have been the case. There might be relatives that haven't been seen in ages. So somebody dies and a relative will show up and they're going to have to give some kind of evidence that they are a family member and heir to the estate. So they might say, look at my kilt. It is of the proper tartan. So therefore I'm heir to the estate. They might show a ring that they wear on their finger and say, look, I have this ring because all who are heirs to the estate have this particular ring. Maybe they have a seal for their correspondence. Look, I have the seal of our family estate that shows I am an heir. Uh, Whatever it might be, there might be a token that shows... Uh, they are an heir. What is it that marks an heir to Abraham's estate? Let's look at it. It's those who are of Abraham's family. Look at verse 13, and we're going to go through each verse in turn. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the first thing we need to recognize about Abraham here is that he received a covenant promise from God. God made a covenant promise to Abraham. He mentioned it in Genesis 12. He mentions it in Genesis 15. And then he reaffirms it in Genesis chapter 17. The promise is simply this. I will give you lots of kids. You will have the land that you are living on. And I will bless the entire world through you. So this is Abraham's covenant. So this is the first thing we discover about Abraham's estate. It's this. Abraham's estate contains the covenant promises of God. Now, an estate might contain a lot of things. It might have a house in it. It might have a car in it. It might have some stocks, some bonds in it. It might have some property, some real estate, some commercial development. Who knows what an estate might have? Abraham's estate has the covenant promises of God. Anyone who is an heir of Abraham inherits the covenant promises of God. What does this mean? This is the most valuable estate that's ever existed because Abraham and his children will inherit the covenant promises of God that God has promised to Abraham. Look with me at Genesis seventeen 7. It'll be up on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Here's what God says to Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So God makes a covenant to Abraham. How long does it last? Everlasting. And who is it to? Abraham and his offspring. Now do we see why it's so important to figure out who are Abraham's kids? Because whoever is an offspring of Abraham is an heir to the covenant promises of God. And, and whoever can say, here is... And so that's why this will is so important. Well, who, who are the children of Abraham that are inheriting the covenant promises of God? And that's what uh, Paul is trying to argue for us in Romans chapter 4. He wants to show us precisely who the children of Abraham are. Go back to Romans 4.13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring is he would be heir of the world. It didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So first thing we can understand about this covenant promise, it is not obtained through the law. Now, do you see why John the Baptist got so riled up at the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They were claiming they were sons of Abraham. They're one because they were genealogically descended from Abraham as people of Israel And secondly, because they followed the law code. So their argument is, we are Jewish and we follow the law. So therefore, we are sons of Abraham, heirs to the covenant promises of Abraham. And Paul says, no, Abraham received his covenant promise, not by the law. Did Abraham receive the covenant promise by the law? Absolutely not. There was no law for him to follow. There was no sin offering to give because the law hadn't been given. There was no temple to go worship at. There was no priest he had to go pursue. The covenant promises were extended to Abraham, and we learned this in previous passages in Romans, and he believed God could keep his promise. God made all these promises to him, and Abraham goes, I think he'll do that. I think he's good for it. I think he'll keep that promise. What do we call that? Faith. So he trusted God could keep his promise, and he trusted God would keep his promise. And the Bible says, because of his faith, God counted to him righteousness. So the covenant promise was received by faith. So if you want to inherit the covenant promise, are you going to inherit it by law? And Paul is saying, absolutely not. If the promise was given by faith, why would you think you would be an heir to it by law? And that's what he's saying. The the nature of the promise in the beginning was a promise that was received by faith. There was nothing to be done. There was nothing to be completed. There was no law to obey. There was no obligation to fulfill. There was no spirit quest to pursue. It was just simply God makes a promise and Abraham says, I think he's good for it. I trust him. I believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And the Bible says, God counted to Abraham righteousness, So the nature of this estate, this will, is you are a member of this family, not by law-keeping, but by faith. That is the nature of this family. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 4. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and void, and the promise is void. Let me read it properly. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. The promise recipients, those who re- receive the promises of God just because God keeps promises are heirs. Law adherents void the promises for them. So let me, do it, let me say it in the reverse because it's easier for us to understand. We know how contracts work. You go over to your neighbor and your neighbor says to you when you come over, hey, I got a deal for you. Yeah, what's the deal? You mow my lawn on Friday. I will give you stakes on Saturday. And what do you say to that? We got a deal. Now, of course, we're going to consider the implications. How big is the lawn and what are the quality of the stakes? But let's consider that this is a fair deal. Small lawn, good stakes. So when you mow the lawn, you get, and I knew you would get this one. I knew when you mow the lawn, you get stakes. When you don't mow the lawn, you don't get stakes. This is how contracts work. This is not complicated. We all understand this. Abraham's estate works different. You receive the stakes if you believe you've got a generous neighbor. And as soon as you try to pay for the stakes, no stakes for you. And and this doesn't make any sense to us. In fact, because we would prefer to earn the inheritance than merely receive it because God is generous. But this is precisely the case. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are making the argument that in order to receive God's favor, you've got to be a good Jew who who follows the Jewish law. And Paul is making the argument to receive God's favor, you have to trust that he is favorable towards you. You have to believe him. And in fact, you nullify that covenant in your life by saying, I want to pay him back for it. Because it is to be received by faith, not through law code following the promised recipients, those who simply trust God keeps his promises, are heirs to the estate of Abraham. Look with me at verse 15. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So this is, again, the primary issue we have between these two parties who are arguing they're heirs to the kingdom of God, heirs to Abraham's covenant promises he is making the argument paul is that heirs to the promises of abraham are those who trust god whereas the religious leaders the pharisees and the sadducees are making the argument those who are heirs to abraham's promises are those who are jewish and follow the jewish law code and here's his final argument the law brings wrath where there is no law there is no transgression look at that last word there transgression That's a little bit of a different word than we've seen in Romans so far. We've talked a lot about sin in Romans. We've said uh, Gentiles who have never received the Jewish law code are sinners because they should be able to see through creation there is an eternal and powerful God and recognize he ought to be worshipped. Those who receive the law code should recognize that there is an eternal powerful God and they can't keep the law code and they should worship God alone. So the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. What happens if you take a sinner and hand them a law code? Now you have a transgressor. See, a sinner is one who has rebelled against God. Now you take a sinner and hand them a list of rules. And what are they going to do? They are going to break those rules. Handing a a set of laws to a sinner does not make them less of a sinner. It makes them a well-informed sinner. I don't know what the speed limit is on a lot of roads. When I see the sign, it does not change my velocity. It just changes the amount of information I have about my velocity in reference to the law. And this is the way law works. It does not make us righteous. It makes us well-informed sinners. Before, I was just sinning. Now I know the precise ways in which I'm sinning. But somehow we think if we could have a list of rules to follow, we could be righteous. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. I don't even have to convince you of that. You know this by your own experience. Yet a list of rules has never made you uh, good at following rules. It's just made you good at now knowing the things you wish you could do. And this is what his argument is. The Jewish folks are making this argument. You have to be Jewish or have become Jewish and follow the law code to know God. And Paul is saying that has never worked and that never will work. And in fact, that is not the way Abraham knew God. Abraham knew God because he trusted God could keep his promises. And the way you participate as a family member of Abraham is to do what father Abraham did. Trust that God keeps his promises. That is what marks an heir to the estate of Abraham. You show up at the will reading and they say, are you a son of Abraham? Yes. Why should we believe you? I believe God keeps his promises. Get in here. That's what children of Abraham do. You walk in and say, why are you a child of Abraham? I'm really good at following the law code. That's not what Abraham does. Abraham believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. So this is a will and a, a, the will has to do with a family and Abraham's family is a family of faith. I'm going to read a long section of scripture Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. I'm going to take a bit of a risk here and I'm just going to read it and I'm not really going to provide a lot of comment on it. So I'm hoping you might see the connection between the discussion here in Romans chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't, it's my fault. It's not your fault. Um, but secondly, uh, what you could do later on uh, this afternoon, the Seahawks aren't playing today, so you've got lots of time. Um, you could read Romans 4 and Romans 1 again and just look at some of those connections. Romans chapter 1, be, ugh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Here's what it says. I'm going to read it. Just a couple of quick comments at the end, uh, but we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory just very quick just a couple of quick comments on this god makes a promise to us through christ that we can be adopted as his children's heirs to his kingdom Sounds similar to abraham yes how does that happen Verse 13, we hear the word of the gospel. What is the gospel? You are a sinner. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for you, and through his sacrifice on the cross, he pays the penalty for your sin. Three days later, he raises from the grave, overcoming death. And when we trust what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave, we receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So in him, we heard the truth and believed in him. How do we receive inheritance in Christ the same way Father Abraham did? How? By faith. Hear the gospel and say, I think God can keep his promises. He can forgive even someone like me, even someone like you. And we have hope that we will experience an inheritance forever because Jesus is raised from the dead. When we show up at the will reading in eternity and we walk in and they say, why should you come in to receive an inheritance of the kingdom of god we will say check out my holy spirit it is my seal guaranteeing i'm a member of the family of god all who receive christ by faith have the holy spirit we walk into the family as heirs to the kingdom of god just like abraham abraham received a promise he believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness We have received a promise by Christ and through Christ, and we believe him, and we receive an inheritance, eternal life. We become an heir to the kingdom. Some of us want to inherit different ways. We don't want to just believe Christ. We want to earn Christ. We want to show God we appreciate it. We want to pay God back. We want to be a little more righteous than the people around us We want to be respectable or have a good reputation or any of these such things None of these things get us into the family of god What gives us into the family of god is I trust him and he will make good on his promises Heirs to the kingdom of god The family of abraham is a family of faith Let's look at verses Excuse me 16 through 22 of romans 4 I'm going to read verses 16, 17, and 18 as we keep, uh, work our way through this. Here's what it says, verse 16. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Verse 18, in hope, that is Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So what we understand here is it depends on faith to become a member of the family of God, an heir to the kingdom of righteousness, an heir to Abraham's estate, and transgression Is that which keeps us from it. And so the inheritance is based on grace alone for both parties, the Jew and for the Gentile. The person who is Jewish, who has known a Jewish culture their whole life, they still get into heaven based on faith in Christ alone. The Gentile gets into the kingdom of God by faith in Christ alone. Abraham's hope was received by faith, not by works of the law, because God is the one who creates Life. That's where his faith was rooted in. It says this down in uh, the end of verse 17. In God, whom he believed that he could give life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham believed God could make dead things alive. Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2, I always get them mixed up. God tells Abraham to go up and sacrifice his son Isaac. So Abraham takes his son, Isaac, and binds him. He sits him on the altar. He gets out the knife. He's going to kill him. And then the angel of the Lord says, no, hold on, don't do it. And there's a ram in the thicket. So he takes Isaac off the altar. Then he sacrifices the ram. Was Abraham really going to kill Isaac? And the answer is absolutely. How could Abraham kill Isaac? And the answer is simply this, because he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's what it says over in in Hebrews chapter 11 is... Abraham knew Isaac was the son of the covenant. He had already been told that. Isaac was the one who was going to be the covenant bearer uh, for the next generation. He knew he was the son of the covenant. So Abraham wasn't afraid to sacrifice Isaac. He knew that Isaac would be raised from the dead. So this is more than just a story of Abraham being faithful to God, and he's going to obey him. In fact, it's much more than that. Abraham sacrificing Isaac is Abraham believing God could raise the dead. And that's where our faith is founded. If God can't raise the dead, our faith is useless. And Abraham believed God is the giver of life, and he is the one who brings up sons for Abraham to be heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Look at verses 19 and 20. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, and since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, this isn't complicated theologically God said he would have lots of kids. He had none and he was about hundred years old I'm not a medical doctor My understanding is over time. There are some things your body stops doing really well One of them is having children So Abraham looked at his own body and said I'm not having kids Abraham looked at his wife and said She's not having kids one old person plus one old person equals zero children. He did the biological math We are not having children. We know how this works, and it's not working. Verse 20, but no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. So he had two pieces of information. He had God and his covenant promises, and he had old people trying to have kids. Two pieces of data. He thought in his own mind, one of these is more reliable. This is simply what faith is. So many people think faith is believing without any information. That's absolutely wrong. Abraham was believing based on the best information he had. He knew God was faithful to his covenant promises. If God said Abraham would have kids, Abraham's going to have kids, whether he's 100 years old, 120 years old, or 200 years old. It required faith because he understood people this age don't normally have children, but he believed God, he believed the promises of God. And look what it says towards the end of this verse. uh, He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. His faith over time grew and grew as he walked in the covenant promises of God. He trusted God at the beginning of his life a little. And over time, his faith grew and grew and grew as he followed the Lord and saw that he was uh, faithful. Because he knew the covenant promises of God were not trusting in Abraham's faith His faith was trusting that God would keep uh, his promises. So he was convinced that God could do what he said he was going to do for God's glory. Abraham believed if God wanted to give him children, he could do it out of the rocks, which is precisely what John the Baptist told the Pharisees. All right, continuing on, let's uh, look at verses 21 and 22. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, and that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness See and this is like a curveball to us We say where did the righteousness come in from? This is precisely how it works in the family of abraham the family of god to receive righteousness We merely trust that god will keep his promises Those who trust god can keep his promises and will keep his promises are counted as Righteous and we don't like that what we think is righteous people are counted as righteous That's not the family of abraham In the family of Abraham, people who trust God will keep his promises are considered righteous, made right in the eyes of God, able to rest in the covenant promises of God. When we trust that God will make good on his promises, that faith brings us righteousness so that our experience in the family of God is by grace alone. So it's only grace and it's never earned. It's completely based on God and his grace that we become part of a family of God. Let's look one more time over at Matthew 3, verse 9. Pharisees and Sadducees are making the argument the way you have favor with God is you keep God by being a good Jew, keeping the Jewish law. And here we have John the Baptist doing a baptism of repentance. Do you presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father? I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. I might suggest, if given two options, making you and I children of Abraham, or making rocks children of Abraham, he chose the more difficult. I mean, we are a stubborn lot. We don't want anybody to tell us what we're supposed to do. And then we want to also earn our righteousness by doing what's right. God, you're not allowed to tell me what's right and wrong. I get to decide that. Also, I'm going to be righteous because I'm going to do what's right. And God says, I've got an idea. How about you just trust that I will keep my promises and I will make you righteous. That is harder. Jesus comes and dies on the cross, sheds his blood while we are still sinners, raises from the dead to give us hope of eternal life with with him, and he simply says, do you believe he will make good on his promises to forgive you, forgive you for everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do? If you trust him, you're an heir to the kingdom of heaven, a child or daughter of Abraham. In fact, it says over in Romans chapter 4, I think verse 13 or 14, what does it say about him? Abraham and his offspring would be heir to the world, heir to the kingdom of God. Okay, three applications here coming straight from the scripture, verses 23, 24, and 25, and then we're going to close uh, with this. Look at what it says in verse 23. The words it is counted to him. Back it says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 23, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. I mean, think about it. Genesis was written a long time ago, some 1,500 years before Christ. Moses by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes down the book of Genesis and when you've read the book of Genesis uh, You may have thought a lot of things about the book of Genesis It's supposed to tell me how long it took to create the world It's supposed to tell me J- Joseph has a fancy coat That there was a flood But it tells us actually the book of Genesis was written with you and me in mind when it Abraham trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness It wasn't written for Abraham alone. It was written for all throughout all of history who would receive righteousness from God. To be made righteous in God is to just simply trust that God will make good on his promises. Do you want to inherit righteousness or do you want to earn it? If you decide to inherit righteousness by trusting God, you will always have more than you need. If you decide to earn your righteousness, you will never have enough. So you just need to decide which way you want to roll. You want to inherit righteousness, you will always have more righteousness than you will ever need. If you want to earn it, you will never have enough. Look at verse 24. It was counted to him, it was not written for for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Faith is is only as powerful as that which we are trusting. Jesus is raised from the dead. If Jesus is, raised from the, is not raised from the dead, you could trust him all day long. It's not going to do you a lick of good. Faith is only useful if the object of your faith is powerful. Jesus is raised from the dead. There is no better person to trust. Because he is raised from the dead, we can rest in him, enjoying his grace day in, end day out. Finally, verse 25, Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, our breaking of the law. Because of the work of Christ, he paid for our trespasses and we receive righteousness by faith. If we want to earn our righteousness, our trespasses will never leave. If we receive Jesus' righteousness, our trespasses are taken care of. If we want to earn our righteousness, our trespasses will never leave. In trusting Christ, we are made righteous and given new life in him forever. Do you want to be a child of Abraham and heir to the estate? The covenant promises of God is simple. Trust Jesus. And you are heir to the kingdom of God. If you would rather earn your way, you have that option, but you will never earn enough.